Hey there, Mitch here. Just a heads up, this episode of Pixel Civ has a little bit of swearing in it. Tim Corwell, our guest, is really passionate about gaming. If you're listening to this in the car with kids or in a place where blasting F-bombs might not be appropriate, it's probably best to get the headphones on and listen to it that way. All right, without further ado, take it away, Johnny. Has to turn his microphone on. 100 episodes uh-huh. and he can't get it right. Jeez Louise. Anyway, this is Pixel Sift. This is the 100th episode. It's been a long time coming here and we're having a party. So if you're watching this live and you live in Western Australia, you can come along to this party tomorrow night. If you listen to this as a podcast, it's useless to you because it's probably already gone. Um, <laughs> you can feel bad about missing it, but come to the 200th party. If you want to find out more information about that, it's at pixelsift.party. Uh, you can buy tickets at the door or you can go to that link and buy them directly. And that's it. We'll if see you, you there. If you don't fly over here like I did, I don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear, don't wanna no hear that. Let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the 100th episode of Pixel Sift. My name is Gianni and if you haven't turned tuned in ever before this point, uh, we're a podcast that talks to... First of all, why? Well, they've got a good back catalogue to walk through, so that's always good. <laughs> we're not going to shame them on that. Um, but we're a podcast that talks to game developers and people in the games industry from Australia, Australasia, New Zealand, around the world um, and talk to them about what it takes to make things and why they do it and how they kind of struggle through adversity to keep doing those things. Uh, so joining me is original Mitch from episode one. Yeah, there was another Mitch, but I replaced him. He's the original one. Yeah. And Sarah, <laughs> who is a recent addition, but a very valued one. Thank you. And uh, we are joined this week by Tim Colwell. He is the creator of Point and Clickbait, which is a satirical gaming news website. Uh, and he is also an organizer for Game Workers Unite Australia. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. We're looking forward to learning all about how to be funny. Um, so we're hoping yeah. you can get some tips there. Yeah, we need I that. Really... We desperately need yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't going to say anything. but um, That's what we the, brought uh... you on. That's just like a uh, masterclass. <laughs> you, reg- you registered a domain name for your party. That's impressive. You've got to be. I think the most I've done for my party was make sure that I had the invitations correctly addressed. And even that was a struggle. It's going to be hashtag brand. So anyway, we're going to be talking about all about pointing clickbait and... Other things as well, including uh, industrial relations law in Australia and how you should be doing it. It's going to be great and it's going to be fun, but shall we jump in to episode 100? Woo! Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. If you're enjoying the show and you want to hear more, subscribe to Pixel Sift on Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Spotify, or listen on pixelsift.com.au. See you there. So our guest this week is Tim Colwell. He's the creator of Point and Clickbait. Tim, what is Point and Click Bacon and how did it start? Uh, great question. Point and Click Bait is uh, the only comedy website on the internet and I'm proud to have come up with the idea myself. Of jokes? Um, yes, actually. Um, no, it's uh, so basically, you know, the way that people describe it is it's the onion, but for video games and, and I, that's very flattering to me. So I go with that um, because obviously the onion is wonderful and is essentially the benchmark for online satire, um, and so to be remotely compared to them is, is a, an intense and visceral thrill for me. Um, but basically, it's just a website that makes fun of video games and video games culture and, and the people in video games. Um, and it started because um, 
well, I used to be a, a games journalist, as, as I'm sure you know, and um, look, basically I was getting very depressed uh, in that work and um, I really wanted to be able to say and do certain things which I simply could not. And so I used uh, the, the uh, hilarious joke opportunity of April Fool's Day to make kind of articles like this. Um, and then I realized one day that that was the only time that I was truly happy. And so I thought I'd make a whole website about it. And after much encouragement from my partner, I finally went ahead and did that um, shortly before um, the outlet I was writing for was shit canned. So um, probably not related. In fact, almost certainly not related. But uh, yeah, the timing was worked out quite well in that regard because I almost certainly would have been sacked by now for writing the kind of stuff that I write. <laughs> So did that give you an opportunity to kind of really lean into point and clickbait? Because you're like, well, I've got nothing else going on. I might as well do this. Yeah, I mean, it was something to do while I was like desperately poor and looking for a job. Like definitely, even in terms of filling the hours between that. Um, but yeah, it, it did. It was good from for that point of view, from that perspective, because it was like, well, you know, now I know all these things and I have all these like skills in this craft, but I'm going to turn it towards something that I really want to do, which is you know, being able to to critique things in a way that I wasn't able to critique when I had to be essentially in the game. Um, and and games journalism is very much a game. It's a, it's a dance. It's a it's a it's a very much a coordinated ballet between PR and marketing and and journalists. And um, you know, it's something that I just couldn't really do any longer, unfortunately. Now, we do have a couple of comments from the chat, actually. Someone called Moody Zander, who's a friend of the stream, they've recognised your work. They actually found it through a blog on Tumblr, which you might recognise, called Bikini Armour Battle Damage. So that, oh, that yeah, was there. that's a great yeah. website. So they, they actually found your um, you know, uh, point and clickbait through that, and they've, they've actually, they're really excited. They want to ask a couple of questions. So first of all, sure. you know, obviously, you know, we just talked about what inspired you to make point and clickbait. They'd also love to know how many people or gamers or just, you know, our readers in general have missed uh, that the site is actually satire. Have you ever? Encountered people that are just have completely not realised that you're, you're you're poking fun at things or you're trying to point out problems through through the art of satire. Oh yeah, honestly, like a lot. Like, wow, way really? More than, no, like a really an insane amount. Like um, one of the most memorable ones I can think of was when um, the the Nintendo Switch came out and uh, people like some outlets were were like. Oh look! Uh, do do you think the Nintendo Switch would bend? And then they would post a video of themselves just fucking snapping the Switch with their bare hands, and they're like, "Oh, I guess it bends." Pretty shoddy workmanship, like, and and obviously, you know, they were really just reaching for content. Oh my goodness! Um, and I was like, "Ah, oh, check this out! The Nintendo Switch breaks when you run it over with your car," and like <laughs> that was the whole thrust of the joke. And it was just like yeah. I was like, "Oh, lol, everyone will will get this instantly," mm. and no, they sure didn't. I had like that was screenshot so many times. Uh, and like people were like, "Wow, look what gaming journalism has come to!" Like shaking my head, damn, that is amazing. Fucking, this is terrible. And like you know, all these like like reactionary dipshits were like, "Oh my god, this is the state of games journalism. It's really just disgusting." Wow, <laughs> like, fucking hell! It's like you know. That anyway, is... so yeah, so that that's definitely happened quite a few times. That's quite um, something. You also get the inverse of that coin as well, where you know where you are kind of using satire to kind of skewer one of the situations in the gaming news, mm-hmm. um, and people kind of pile on. As well, how does that feel when you have to kind of react back to those people who who just don't get that this, the whole situation is a bit ridiculous? Um, it's like, well, I mean, sometimes the piling on is harmless, you know, mm. um, and sometimes it's all in good fun, but sometimes it's like really harsh, and you know, that's when I'll 
I'll kind of just back away from it or I'll, I'll say something like, you know, maybe we should just chill out here for a second. Like there's, there's, I don't think there's ever been any times where I've had to say to anyone, like, don't dogpile on anyone about this because like generally that's not something anyone I've found who follows the website does anyway. Like I don't think it attracts that sort of personality. So Tim, um, that kind of dogpiling personality is very much reserved for what I shall generously call my opponents. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, so please Tim, go on. it's it's very clear that you found your calling with uh, writing this style of uh, of journalism. Um, how does did you have to really change your mindset heavily to start writing for for satire um, from previously writing more dry uh, games journalism? Um, well, I, I think I like to think uh, that I became famous for doing very stupid and dumb games journalism. Um, so not really. Uh, look, I, I, some of my favorite articles when I was doing what I'll quote unquote serious games journalism was things like um, uh, uh, you might remember I, there was an article where I I, um, I made Anthony Birch and Paul Elfquist from the Borderlands team play Dungeons and Dragons live in front of me, mm. like as an interview. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that was that was a lot of fun. And there was one where I uh, I made the Blizzard developers like redraw all of their characters from. I made one of the Blizzard artists like redraw the Amazon from Diablo two and put it back into Diablo three. And we had a little like back and forth sketching session and stuff. And we came up with like some insanely dumb ideas. Um, and like, and that's the kind of stuff that I think you know was was kind of my trademark at the end of my quote-unquote career uh which was just was just like games journalism that just didn't take itself seriously and and refused to play along like at the end of that that diablo article the, the pr handler for blizzard who i love very much was like did you want to ask any questions about reaper of souls and i'm like what <laughs> sorry <laughs> why and he's like oh i thought you might have some questions about the game I'm like nah so when putting those just- big Sorry, I'll keep going. Sorry. No, no that's it. Yeah. That's, I was just reminiscing about the good times. Good yeah, Please go on. So when putting those um, projects together with with relatively high profile people, is the conversation um, is the conversation easy? It's like, hey, I want to play D and D with with your with with two creators, or I want I want I want your two artists to draw their characters again. Is that a? Oh, no, I sprung that one on on the Borderlands PR guy without warning at all. Um, <laughs> he didn't know that was happening. He loved it. But um, look, the, the answer to the question is very much about trust, right? Um, so I would never do that with a developer and PR handler who I didn't have a pretty good relationship with. Um, often, by its very nature, the relationship between journalism and PR is inherently antagonistic and hostile, right? Like that's not, you know, there are a lot of people who disagree with that, but I really mm-hmm. firmly it is um, because one side, what one, what one side wants is completely antithetical to what the other wants. And there's just no two ways around that. Um, it doesn't mean you and the PR handler have to be enemies. In fact, you can be very good friends, but, but just from an intentional point of view, like mm. you both have very different wants and needs, um, and they directly come into conflict. So there's no way I would do that sort of thing with anyone who I didn't really trust. And so I worked hard to build up a rapport with certain, um, PR handlers who didn't take it as seriously as other PR handlers and more willing to let me have that kind of latitude. And if you don't have that kind of trust relationship with the PR handler, you'll never get away with that kind of dumb article, that kind of dumb behavior. You just won't because they'll, they'll, they'll literally shut the interview down. Um, that's happened before and it'll happen again. I'm not sure there's games journalists out there right now who are experiencing that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, you've, you've got to have that trust. And it very much is about a personal relationship with the person. So you know that when you pull out a sketch pad in the middle of the thing and you hand it to them, they're not going to just reach over and be like, yeah, we're shutting this down. 
Now, we have a really, really good question from Moody Zander in the Twitch chat again. They would love to know that, you know, what your opinion on when it comes to something like the onion, a lot of they feel like, you know, some people have starting to have uh, reactions more along the lines of at this rate, the onion is actually becoming real journalism, you know, because more and more things in the world seem to be reflecting what we previously called satire, more and more ridiculous things appear to be happening in the world around us. So what do you think of the, of the current situation where let's, you know, some political events like a certain president in America getting elected, you know, like... Which one are you talking about? No, no, just look, I just... <laughs> Any of them. I'm name names here. Yeah, you know, what really. do you think about things happening in the real world reflecting satire, almost becoming real or satire, almost becoming its own self-fulfilling prophecy as a medium? I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, like, yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, and look, it's... Uh, from from a um, putting me out of business point of view, it sucks, yeah. Um, but it's like I think it's really a reflection that, you know, uh, satire has kind of fe- like forgotten. So, like, when satire was originally conceived, right, it was always meant to be a, as a vehicle for, like, speaking kind of truth to power and, and mm. using absurdity to show that um, what was happening was unexpected and bad. Absolutely. Um, but the fact that that you know what is happening is now unexpected and bad, making satire like impotent in many ways, is kind of like it's not really a reflection on satire so much as it is on the fact that like people are just more willing to acknowledge that I think the world has always been absurd, yeah, and now they're sure. only really kind of waking up to it. Like, is it is it harder to write satire as more and more I guess almost satirical but real political events occur in in, in I mean in in the game sphere especially I for me personally I feel like there's been more things coming up um, more people talking about political events within the games that that have upset them and it, it seems more and more ridiculous like every day people are getting upset about more and more stupid things or in, even in the I guess games. on the other side of that people becoming desensitized to things Absolutely. as well where they're yeah. just kind of expecting mm-hmm. that ridiculous things are going to happen all the time and that, yeah yeah. You know, like, they can't do, see the absurdity yeah. of it. How do you feel about that as someone that has, you know, put so much effort into writing satire satire articles about, you know, games and games journalism, the games industry and, and players of games in, you know, the games community? Um, look, you know, obviously I joke about like, haha, it's putting me out of business, but I honestly don't mind. Um, it really like, I think in many ways, uh, you know, it makes people like me seem more prescient and therefore more intelligent, even though the opposite is true. <laughs> um, uh, like, but I wish, I think one of the things that I, w- I would say is when it comes to the games industry and just being like it being every bit as absurd and over the top as I imagine it to be, is just like uh, one of the things that I really wanted to do was to poke fun at the industry's lack of self-awareness. Mm-hmm. And like that it's now becoming crystal clear to me as the years roll on, I think we're into the third year of point and click bait now, is that like, that's not going to change ever. Um, and in fact, they're kind of like, the worst part is when they're kind of embracing it. Like, um, uh, uh, like that fucking Schick robot at the Game Awards. Oh, yeah. Like that, ro- like fucking that Gillette, was it Gillette or Schick? I, I think it was Gillette. Get, it, was, it was the shaving the robot. It was, right. it was the shaving robot. That's yeah, all that matters. Robot. How are you expecting to influence like- people if you can't get the branding right? <laughs> <laughs> I maybe maybe it's not about oh, the branding. Maybe it's just about that there what? was a shaving head robot. At the, I just don't understand. That's terrible. Anyway, I saw that and I'm like, are you fucking serious? I think we all had like, that reaction though. It was kind of like, is this real? Is this a Devolver Digital conference yeah, joke kind yeah. of thing? Like, what's going on? And then Xbox on? did their own like gag on E3. Like they were like, ha ha, here's the Xbox like 
conference bingo where they were like, oh, look, we're going to have an, an awkward exchange, a joke that doesn't land. Like, we're going to have a rapper who clearly doesn't want to be there. I'm like, this is my content. You're stealing my fucking content. Did you feel like, the same with Bethesda's don't... E3 conference when they uh, announced Skyrim for uh, uh, Amazon Alexis? Oh, yeah, okay. I did, you know. I, I did. And and the thing is that, like, like this is what I mean. Like, they're, they're kind of leaning into it, but they don't get it. Right, mm. yeah. Like, like, at the core of... at the at the core of it all is the thing they don't want to confront, which is the fact that games are kind of stupid and that's okay. Like I'm yeah. embracing that. They're stupid. Um, but like, they're not going to ever come out and tell you that like they'll do the minimum. They'll workshop a joke for like six months through a team of 15 humor analysts to make sure that they can give you a joke that makes them look like they're self-aware, but actually offers literally no self-reflection at all and isn't going to address any of the underlying issues with their industry or the way they present themselves. But it makes them be like, oh, look how self-aware we are. And it's like you mm. don't mm. get to, like, they're kind of just wearing self-awareness like like a, like a costume, and then they'll, they'll throw it away as soon as they don't need it anymore. Yeah, it's like you Very can't kind of tout that while, you know, not improving the situation yourself, not doing anything about it. Yeah, like none of them are doing anything differently. It's like, they're like, oh, look at how awkward our jokes were at the Xbox conference. They're going to be that awkward next year. Like, you're not going to do anything differently, like. You don't like you, you can make the joke, sure, but then if you don't follow it up, like what are you doing? Mm. You know, like, like at least people like Ubisoft don't don't even try. Like, you know, I made fun of I made a joke about how the Assassin's Creed movie would come in all these limited editions, and then it did, uh, and I was like, oh right, okay, <laughs> like, and you know, you would never see Ubisoft doing that at their press conference. They're just not even going to bother. They just keep doing their thing. Yeah, um, play it straight down the line. <laughs> It's pretty much like they're not interested in doing that. Like yeah. but Bethesda and, and Microsoft are like, oh, look at us. We're so self-aware. It's like, well, no, you're not. <laughs> you just you made a joke about yourselves and then you moved on. Like you're not going to change it or do anything. And then the whole point of, of satire is that it's supposed to make people be like, oh, that's fucked, and then change their minds on it. Mm. Um, now, we, okay, I see that Moody's Andrews just pointed out the player banter. Yes, yes, that's the Ubisoft thing. Like, you know, I'll make fun of that year in, year out, and they're never going to change that. Yeah. Now, you have done a little bit of, uh, I guess, close to serious journalism uh, when you did some stuff on, on Polygon and then you were kind of talking about the fundamental nature of Steam and how that's all kind of yes. come together. Yep. How did that feel to be doing that again? And oh, is that more good. that you want to do in that sort of space? Yeah, I've actually got a follow-up article to that one coming out. Um, well, look, I don't know when. I'm still trying to find a publisher for it. But, um, yeah, look, that's the kind of thing that I want to be doing more of when it comes to doing some some more traditional journalism, like just more focused stuff, more long form, in depth stuff, rather than just churning news in day out and day out. Uh, sorry, news in day in day out. Um, like yeah, just stuff that really goes in on a bigger issue and and um, something that hasn't really been said before. I think, but people like Valve, uh, you know, like there were certain targets you couldn't really touch in games journalism, and Valve was definitely one of them. Um, not for like. Uh, political reasons but just because like everyone loves them and there's nothing there to to talk about so like it took a really long time to get you know people to trust me enough to tell me things mm. about what was happening behind the scenes and of course valve did most of the work by just like turning the thumb screws and all their content creators and making them hate them so eventually like it became easy and easy to find people who are like wow i'm being screwed over by valve and i'm like tell me all about it mm. um so but yeah that's the kind of stuff that i'm i'd like to be doing a bit more of and i'm Certainly, I think it, there's a lot of overlap there between, you know, um, the really vehemently anti-corporate mentality of point and clickbait mm. and the really vehemently anti-corporate mentality of unionizing. 
You're listening to Pixelsift. Or you might be watching Pixelsift on Twitch. Pixelsift. Speaking of unionizing so, and people being screwed over by game companies, would you be able to explain segue. to us a bit more about, you know, how did Game Workers Unite start? How did you get involved with it? Because we do have some questions coming in about, you know, yeah, what sure. your thoughts on Game Workers And does Unite? it build on all the stuff that you've been doing in writing all this stuff for Point Absolutely, and Clickbait? Absolutely, yeah. I think it does in a way, yeah. Because um, it's like, it's it's action beyond the jokes. Um, and I think that's the important thing is, is to, as I was just talking about with Bethesda and stuff, you know, you got to make the joke, yeah, but then you got to follow it up. Um, and for me personally, the way I sleep at night is following that joke up with, with this kind of direct action. Um, but uh, how did it come about? Um, it actually started in the US. Um, it's uh, You may remember recently there was the Game Developers Conference. And at this conference, um, Jen McLean, just before this conference, the head of the IGDA, and also the former head of 38 Studios, who you may remember from games like um, Kingdoms of Amalur, Kingdoms of Amalur. Um, Jen McLean is the former head of HR at that studio and the one responsible for sacking 400 workers with a single email. Um, she's the head of the IGDA now, and she was in an interview with, I remember who it was, Eurogamer maybe, and they were like, oh, what do you think about, you know, people talking about possibly unionizing? She was like, unionizing? That sounds terrible. Here's all the reasons why it's bad, like textbook union-busting stuff straight out of the 1930s handbook of, of corporate bosses from literally before any of us were born. Um, like, oh, could have unintended consequences. Drive a wedge between other parties. All the, all the usual garbage. I've heard about vice um, associated with the unions. What do you think about that? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly like that. So basically, like, Jen McLean, who's supposed to be the advocate for game developers, came out and was like, unions are a bad idea, and we should be very worried about them. And, of course, game developers who are in there working, like, 80-hour weeks and getting paid just shit uh, are like, excuse me, Jen? What did you just say? And they got really angry, as they should. Was it just as spontaneous uh, and- as that? It was kind of everyone said, this is the straw that's broken the camel's back. Because I saw a lot of uh, you know pamphlets and magazines and things which were handed out at GDC. And did yes. it just kind of come together that quickly? Um, it, it didn't come together. Uh, I think you know the sentiment's been brewing for a while. And I think, it, I think it would be fairly accurate to describe it as the straw that broke the camel's back. Because there's, you know, the way that I think it really happened was like, this kind of the interview with, with Jen went live and everyone who was dealing with some of the, like there was just been a couple of really massive high profile layoffs, you know, industry data just came out saying that Bobby Kotick earns like 300 times more than the average Activision Blizzard employee. Um, and, you know, basically just economically across the world in, in most Western countries, almost all countries, things are getting worse than they've ever been. You know, like people are now experiencing times of flat wage growth, rising inflation, really harsh corporate law that is is really encroaching on our private lives. And I don't think it's outrageous to say that things are getting really bad really fast for a lot of people. And they're looking for solutions. And I think one of the natural solutions is, of course, standing together and using collective strength to make the world a better place, which is the only way anything is has ever made the world a better place is by standing together and saying, let's just fix this. Um, And I think that kind of just brewed together to have everyone who was working in games say, okay, all right, we're going to do something about this then. And then they kind of start organizing. And a lot of that has been done by several very tireless and and dedicated and indefatigable people in the US who have been running it behind the scenes. Um, 
but uh, yeah, they, they've started springing up in other countries. And when um, someone invited me into their Discord, I was like, well, shit, I'm just going just gonna to get it started here because mm. it's a perfect time. And a lot of people have been very keen. I think we've got 120-something members now. Um, Which for a, you know, a relatively small industry within Australia, you know, uh, you can see some of the big names that are already in there, people that people would recognise, former guests of the show that we've had on who have been uh, are in that part of thing because it's a conversation that's happening. Um, now, yeah. one of the things that I guess is uh, sort of interesting about the way that they sort of describe this, and I think it's something that's true of a lot of creative fields, um, and this is for both sides of the coins making games but also people who are interested in covering games and talking about games, is that it's a game about passion and that if you're not in it for the passion, then maybe you shouldn't be fighting for other bits and pieces. What do you say to that sort of <laughs> sentiment? Uh, look, um, fuck off broadly. That's <laughs> my, my, my professional response to that. Look, the, if someone tells you that you're supposed to be working for passion, they're trying to exploit you. Don't. That's that's the beginning and the end of the conversation. If you want to do something yourself because you love it, that's fine. But if you're in a relationship with someone where they pay you money for work and they expect you to accept low wages for that work because of how much you love the work, you're being exploited. That like that's there's literally no other way to phrase it, and that represents the entirety of the games industry. You are supposed to deal with the fact that your wages are criminally low because you're happy to be there and it's just simply not good enough. Like you would never, and I made this point at the free play conference a little while ago, like you would never accept that as uh, as a, a rational thing to say if you were in any other industry. Like if you were stacking shelves at Coles, if you were hanging chickens in a, in a factory, if you were laying bricks, you would never be told you should be happy to get low wages because you love this work. You, you would, if someone told you that while you're in the middle of, of you know, hanging your 500th chicken for the day, you'd be like, are you fucking serious? I hate this job. I'm doing it because I want money. I want to be able to buy food and I don't want to die. And you'd be really mad at that person. But if someone tells you that in games and you're supposed to be like, yes, I am. I'm so happy to be here. Like, you know, it, it's... Is there an opportunity there to turn some of that passion into kind of all pulling together in uh, in an organization like Game Workers Unite? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that's the thing is like, you know, uh, game, people who work in games are generally well-educated, generally very smart, generally very, uh, you know, up on key social issues. Um, but they let that passion blind them and, and so they allow themselves to be exploited. But what it means to organize is to say, look, you have all this passion, you have all this talent, don't you deserve to be fairly compensated for it? Don't you deserve to actually have a, a chance at building a life? Don't you deserve a chance to buy a house or buy a car or raise a family in a stable environment? Don't you deserve what everybody else has? Um, and it's like that passion. If you don't find a way to harness it to improve your industry, you'll burn out, you'll become depressed and you'll leave. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and the stats show that. Like the churn for our industry in games is like five or six years. Like, that's where they were in Australia, in the US. Like, the latest um, IGDA survey in the US was, like, four years, I think. Mm. Um, that's incredible, you know. And the reason for that is very simple. You you come out with a ton of passion. You, you poured your whole life into this. You get into the industry. You realize very quickly that it's a pile of hot garbage, and you leave because you're getting depressed. And then you pursue it in your private time while you're working in the corporate sector and earning five times as much as you would have anyway. 
There's right. a bunch of comments in the in the Twitch chat with a lot of solidarity for not working for exposure ever. <laughs> Never work for exposure. A, yeah, we also have another comment from Moody Zander asking you about there was recently a voice actor strike. I, I've personally forgotten the details. Mm, but, um, SAG-AFTRA. Uh, a yeah, couple of years ago, yeah. actually, it was one of the first yeah, things yeah. that we did, uh, 2015-ish, I think. Yeah, was. I think there was yeah. one uh, even more recently, mm. though I don't know the details of it. And, again, voice acting may not be directly game dev, but it's something that is does form a part of game development is a very, uh, I guess, oh, yeah, integral part of, of almost all AAA games these days. How, would, how, do you, how would you? Sorry, Sarah. Um, how would you kind of compare the way that the union movement works in the sort of SAG after a creative film and TV sense versus to how we could apply that to a game's development sense? Um, but look, uh, I think Sarah was hitting at a question which was going to be something along the lines of like, you know, do, do you think game will like vocal artists fit into game work? Was mm. was broadly, I think, what you're going to ask, Sarah? Was that? That's okay. Along those lines and also just going with what Moody Zander actually asked in the Twitch chat, you know, they were asking about what's your opinion of of some, something like the the voice actor strike and the other problems yeah, within yeah, the yeah. voice acting industry. Because again, especially if you're doing voice acting for a lot of games, that still kind of comes into it and there's potentially the people are being yes. exploited in that area as well. Like, yeah, and I guess how does that all oh, fit in yeah. together? Like, should those people be a part of a game union or should they be part of a more of, a, of another union? Like, you know, is there, is there an overlap there? Can we potentially band together? Can different unions come together and hold hands and go that's right we're in the same fight together just attacking it on slightly different kind of areas like what are you how do what are your thoughts on all that yeah yeah absolutely i'm look i'll answer both both the questions in turn um look Mm. yes like voice artists are an integral part of game work um and i was look i'm just gonna put out they're very disappointed to see that i saw a lot of game developers turning against the strike and not supporting it and the reason that i saw them not supporting it which sickened me was that they were saying, well, why should they get this stuff like royalties when we don't get it? Wrong answer. That is the wrong attitude. The right attitude is, wow, we should get royalties. What can we do about it? I know. Let's join a union and all walk off the fucking job until we get a contract that gets us the royalties we deserve. That's the right answer. What the bosses want you to do is say, oh, those bloody voice actors eating royalties and we're not. Oh, I hate them. That's, That's what very the CEO wants you to do. That's Actually, what Bobby Kotick wants you to do. The right answer is to say, fuck, we deserve royalties too. Absolutely. Wow. Like, of course you deserve royalties. Listen to me, game developers. If you're listening to this, you deserve royalties. Bobby Kotick earns 300 times what the average Activision Blizzard employee earns. Do you not think he could spare a bit for royalties from the sales of games? I think he fucking could. Now, to... to to circle that back to to the broader question of game work, yes, voice actors are in games. Um, and I think like what we're trying to do here with game workers, especially in Australia, um, is to make sure that we look at the industry from a holistic sense, right? So we're not all about game development because two reasons. Um, one, that's an extremely narrow field in Australia. There's only anywhere from 900 to 1,300 game developers in Australia, right? If we were to say... Let's form a union that only represents game developers. By the way, we have a total membership of about 1,300 on a good day. That will never fly. And I just mean from a legal point of view, that will never fly. That The creation of that union will never be authorized. There's just not enough of an industry there. Um, so we need to think about this holistically and think about the entire industry. Um, and secondly, there's a lot of overlap between all these things, right? Like if you're doing games journalism, if you're a content creator or a streamer, if you're a Twitch partner, you know, you're in the games industry. 
you are working for the games industry and you need to understand that your issues are everyone else's issues and trying to split along the lines of purely game dev purely voice actors that kind of stuff it's not helpful in the long run um and here in australia that's like we're actually very fortunate because we have a lot of existing unions, primarily the Media, Entertainment and Arts Alliance, or the MEAA, which can cover all of this work. And the MEAA are actually very keen on, on unionising in the game sector. And they came along to our, our talk at Freeplay and they were actually, their executive director came and spoke for a bit. And, you know, he was very keen. And um, what we want to do is make sure that game workers in Australia know that we're not just looking for game developers. We're looking for anyone who works in games, whether you're an esports player, whether you're a streamer, you're a YouTuber, anyone, you are a game worker. And if you unionize and you stand together with other game workers, you can all get what you want. Do you think uh, one of the sort of rise in, in esports has been these player associations, which tend to be owned by the organizations which own the games generally? Do you think it is yeah. a good idea to get in early and represent? Yes, very much so. And look, what, I mean, what happens why if do you think cricket players and like, what do you think cricket players and football players and stuff get high salaries, mm. right? They have really strong players associations. Like, the, the Cricket Players Association has been involved in some very high-profile fights with Cricket Australia recently. Now, I'm not saying that it's possible in the next couple of years for esports players to lift their salaries to those of professional cricket player levels. I wish it was. Um, those guys get paid just a staggering amount of money. But the reason they're able to negotiate for there is because they stand together and they're part of a union. Now, like... Any esports player can achieve this, and certainly I think that all esports players should be looking at this kind of thing. Like the reason that organizations are able to ex exploit esports players is exactly the same as it is for game devs, right? They get told that they love their jobs, so they're okay to take low wages. And we're talking about esports players who are mostly kids. They're 18, 19, just out of school, and someone comes along and says, I'll pay you 20K a year to play video games. That's less than the minimum wage. Like, it's not on. And, and that it needs to stop. And the only way it's going to stop is if we heavily unionize and stand together against it. And it, it's like, it's no different than any other struggles in games. It's somebody taking advantage of your passion to exploit you for profit. That's what it is. Now, we've got to start calling it like that if we're going to have a reasonable conversation about how to fix it. Now, union membership in Australia is not at the levels it used to be, uh, not as strong as it would be. I think less, it, it, correct me if I'm wrong, sometimes some industries it's less than a quarter of, of uh, workers are involved in unions, some are much higher. Um, MEAA, I think, has a much higher rate of union membership. Um, how do we sort of change that perspective and, and how do you, what's the competitive advantage that Game Workers Unite has to get people on board and, and be part of it? Yeah, you're right. It's not at good levels and it's, you know, it's not a secret to, to say that. Like, it's not a big union secret to say that union membership is low um it, it's just public data and it's historically so, so the way just just give you a broad overview like generally the way union membership works just thump my table there is that um passionate it's so passionate someone exploit me <laughs> um that the way it works is that when times are good union membership is generally low and when times are tough union membership is generally higher um, and what we're seeing at the moment is, of course, that economically things have been pretty good for Australia. So it's, union membership hasn't really become a priority for a lot of people. We just um, have a... And oh, of course, 
No, go on. I just we just have another comment from the chat, and I just don't want us to run out of time because it's quite a good one as well. Uh, Squint fifty seven says, well, uh, regarding the attitude of, oh, if we just give game developers a lower wage, they'll still work because they're passionate. Do you think the long term effects of that kind of attitude could end up pushing talent away from the industry and into others? Programmers, oh, artists, yeah. and VAs has. will yeah. definitely be able to find other industries where their skills can be used for regional for a reasonable wage. Yeah, absolutely. It already has. You know, like um, it already has, and then that's. That's the thing that's reflected in these really high churn rates is people just realizing that the industry is a dead end and that's going to cost them way too much to be there emotionally, financially, spiritually. Um, and so they just leave. I mean, I know people who are working in, who are programmers, game programmers, they leave and go work for Hewlett Pack or whatever, and they quadruple their salary, right? And they mm. work less hours and they earn like four times as much money. Jeez. And then they can just, like, why, why, you know, like you don't have to be, like, that's a no-brainer, mm. right? Isn't that a and, threat and we, to a Game Workers Union then? Because if people, you know, do get burnt out so quickly, how do you keep people engaged long enough so that they want to stick in the industry and make it better? People are burned out because they feel like it's pointless and they have no say, right? It's the same with any work. And, and you know, like, the, the Marxist terminology here is the alienation of labour, but basically the point is you go somewhere, you work really hard, and at the end of the day, somebody takes your labour away from you, does whatever they want with it, you get paid a pittance and you go home, Right. That's what we all experience when we go to our jobs is that we go and do the work, but it means nothing. It's not ours. We have no control over it. We don't have any, any idea what's going to happen to it. It's not our work, even though we did it. Um, and it's the same in games. You go in there, you do the work, but it doesn't matter because it's not yours. Unionizing offers you a chance to take control of your workplace and say, this is my work. I deserve to have a say in it. I deserve to have a say in how we run the company. And I deserve to have a say in what my own wages are to compensate for it. It's a way of asserting that, no, you know, I'm not, I'm not just going to say something as glib as I have rights, but I have a moral obligation from, my employer has a moral obligation to treat me better. And if he's not going to take it, I'm going to fight for it. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said he, but look, it's almost always men in employment and employer roles. Um, I'm going to fight for it. I'm going to take it and I'm going to make it mine. And it's an empowering thing knowing that you and all the people around you are standing together and that you have the real power in the workplace. And it, it just uplifts, uplifts the soul. But it's really like knowing that you and your fellow workmates are strong and united and you're all working together is changes a workplace from a depressing grind to an uplifting cooperative experience that you actually have a genuine say in like we all know like somewhere inside us that if we all stop participating in our workplaces and in our society and that kind of thing that it would shut down like it's not just as a thought exercise you can imagine that if 19 million australians took to the streets tomorrow and said we're not going back to work until we get a wage growth of five percent or whatever society would stop and we would get what we wanted instantly like we all know that it's not for me to tell you that it's not it's not crazy it's just literally what would happen that's how society has been changed in the past is huge amounts of people saying no i'm not going to do this but that starts on a small level and you can imagine and this goes out to all the game devs out there you're scared you're on a casual contract or you're a contractor you got no rights you know someone in the other room has just been fired because of a twitter disagreement you know, you don't want to rock the boat. But you know, if all of you walked out of the building tomorrow, 
the boss would come to you on their knees and beg you to come back and give you whatever you wanted. If all of you did that, you would get what you wanted. And that's just the truth of it. They're not going to sack the whole company. And it's about that power and that solidarity that comes when you stand together and you say, listen, you know what? We do the work. Shouldn't we have a say in how this is run? And you can do it, but you're scared because you got no rights and you got to put money on, you got to, you got to earn money, you got to put food on the table. But it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, you've got to do something or nothing's going to change. And if everyone bands together and walks away at the same time, that's when you realize who has all the power in the world. And it's not the bosses, it's the workers, and it always has been. And that's why they work so hard to keep you scared mm-hmm. so that you won't use all the power you have. Now, they too- know that if you walk out, they're fucked. They need you more than you need them. That's how it goes. Now, Tim, if people want to do something, what's the thing you would recommend them to do straight away? If they're, th- they're thinking about it, they've had some thoughts about what they can do, um, what would you like them to do first? First thing I'd like you to do is PayPal me 50 bucks. No, what you can do is you can go to uh, australianunions.org.au and you can click on join. Um, and you can join your union. Um, and if you are working games, you might be thinking to yourself, uh, sorry, that one goes out to anyone. You can Anyone should mm-hmm. join a union. If you're listening to this and you work in any industry, you can join a union. There's a union for you, right? And if you go to the Australian Union's website, they employ people full-time whose job it is to take these applications, process them, and put you in the right position, right? But if you're working in games and you're thinking, well, fuck, you know, we don't have a union, you're wrong. Um, there are several unions which can cover us. Um, none of them are formally really recruiting in games at the moment, and that's something that Game Workers Unite is working on changing. Excuse me. Um, but you can still join them and you can still get the protection they offer. So what you need to do is, look, get in touch with us. We'll talk to you about it. Um, join our Discord. There's an application form on our website, which is gameworkers.com.au. Um, and, you know, just come and talk to us. We'll point you in the right direction. But generally, you would be looking at joining either the Media Alliance or Professionals Australia. They have coverage of our industry in a very broad sense. And if you, you know, there's no... There's no penalties for joining the wrong union. You'll just transfer your membership to somewhere else. Mm. Um, like, get started, join now. Don't wait around for something to go bad at work. And then, like I did at Interzone, go, oh, I wish I had joined the union. Um, don't do that. You know, join now and make sure you're protected when shit hits them. Well, that's a call to action if I've ever heard one. Um, Tim, yes. thank you so much for joining us. It's been a fascinating and really important chat. Um, now, if people want to go and sort of have lightened the mood, where can they find out uh, all the satirical game writing that you do as well? And then, you know, when they've got their mood back, they can jump on the on the union site and, and get involved. Well, that would be pointandclickbait.com. And there is a Discord server, as you mentioned as well, so you can join in uh, to the Game Workers Unite Discord server. This has been Pixel Sift. Thank you very much for joining us at least 100 times. It's been a pleasure. Um, Tim, we've really appreciated your time today. Um, We won't hold it against you that you're not in Western Australia anymore. Maybe we can entice you back, potentially. We'll see what happens. Come to our party. If you are in Western Australia, we're having a party tomorrow night. It's only going to be valid if you are watching this live. Um, And that's at all the details are at pixelsift.party. My name is Gianni. I'm the executive producer of Pixel Sift. This show has been produced by Mitch Lowe, Sarah Island, Fiona Bartholomeus, and Scott Quigg. We'll be doing this for a bit more because we've got passion. That's the reason why we do it. No, we'll do it. I need a pay rise, Johnny. 
we'll, we'll have a discussion about that. I think that's an important thing I to do. I deserve one more than him. I've, re- I've replaced him. We only brought him back out of sympathy. Good point. You're all fired. That's well. Go find some other passionate people. Uh, our website is pixelsift.com.au where you can find uh, all the interviews with people we've talked to from the games industry from around Australia. Uh, and, Mitch, we've also got a whole bunch of social media if people are into that sort of thing. Where can they find all that? Yeah, so you can find us on all the good social medias, facebook.com forward slash pixelsive, twitter.com forward slash pixelsive, twitch.tv forward slash pixelsive that you're probably watching us on right now, and youtube.com forward slash pixelsive au. And Sarah, if people want to go back and listen to some of the other people we've spoken to, where should they go to for that? You can go to our website to stream episodes. You can subscribe as a podcast either on iTunes, Pocket Cast, or using the RSS link on our page. We're live every Thursday. Next week at this time, join us for Pixelsive Plays as we check as we check out and play some of the indie games we feature on the podcast and more. And our next podcast episode, just like this one, 101, will be on the 26th of July. We'll see you there. Thank you so much, Tim. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.